Welcome back, everyone, to part two of our conversation about The Witcher by Andrzej Sapkowski. Before the start of the episode, I wanted to jump in here to give a content warning. Uh, this episode deals with sex in the world of The Witcher, and specifically there is a conversation about sexual assault and surviving it and what happens afterwards. Um, it is integral to the story, unfortunately. Um, if that is upsetting to you, you will may want to skip from minute 24 to about minute 37. Um, however, like I said, it is sort of integral to the plot of the second half of this series. So thanks, Sapkowski, I guess. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, now... Uh... this is a natural transition point yeah okay let's let's let's, let's I, talk we, about we keep horny. bringing it up because it's so inescapable it's so prevalent experience. let's like, talk even in just the first two books there's as, so much as as the song says let's talk about sex baby yeah uh so Geralt oh, fucks <laughs> Geralt fucks and boy he does, does. okay Let, all right let's be fair here everybody fucks a lot wow it's like the most realistic thing about this book is that everybody fucks a lot. <laughs> Everyone fucks a lot. I mean, Dandelion's whole deal is fucking. That's like and his, getting in trouble for it. His main character, like he is a D&D bard. His whole thing is, he's, is he's his whole thing is his singing and fucking. That's Dandel, That's That's Dandelion's whole deal. He's also a spy sometimes because he needs money. But like, that's his whole deal. Geralt fucks Quite I mean, Dandel- Dandelion's love conquests are so funny to me because it's like some of them are so like it. It's like oh man, you like it's the classic oh you like you like knocked up that guy's daughter and then suddenly like an entire army of men were like chasing him sort of scenario. Or you get stuff like in the later books. Now I know this happens because it's referenced in the games, but it it, it also like I, I ended up going back and looking it up with Anna, like Anna Henrietta from. Um, well, well, she's like, like his Duchess. previous lover because he's, you know, he's secretly, I think he's a Viscount. Uh, yeah. Like he, who's just like, I don't like nobling. I'm going to go be a bard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can I, I want to, when I talk about things I've seen before, I, I didn't know that that was a thing that he was secretly a noble, but just like goes around because he doesn't like it. I have seen that before in a different fantasy series. I don't know if do either of you know the author Lloyd Alexander. He uh, wrote the black he wrote the Black Cauldron, which you may have seen. The Disney made it yeah. into a movie at one point that bombed. He that the Black Cauldron was part of a series of books called the Chronicles of Prydan. 
Oh, I've pretty, at least seen that. They're pretty generic sort of fantasy. You've got a hero and enemies. I loved them as a kid. I have them all at home. We'll cover them at some point, Ketho, because I just like them. And they're really easy to read. Like, you can read a book in, like, two days, right? They're, like, young adult fantasy books. Mm. However, one of the side characters, one of the sidekicks to the main character, I don't remember his name offhand, his whole thing is that he's a prince who hates being, or a king that hates being a king, and so he spends his time wandering around the land being a bard. That's his. <laughs> well, that's that's just his like character. a trope, right? Like you know, back it's to gotta be. back to the the prince and the pauper sort of thing. You know, that's just a a you know probably starts as and, a morality tale about accepting your duty, and then someone's like, "Well, what if he did it?" <laughs> yeah, I like. I feel like, and. This will delay, I guess this can delay the sex just a little bit longer. But like he, um, a lot of, a lot of this series is, it has heavy tropes that are pretty standard to the, the genre, but it also kind of makes fun of the tropes a little bit too. Yeah, it's There's somewhere. An, it's, it's self-aware. It's somewhere between t- retelling fairy tales in a Grimm style and making fun of Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah. Because yeah. Cause there are some moments in there where you're like, Oh, uh, where it talks about snow white. And that's literally what's her name at, in the first. Yeah. They, they do reference. He does reference like standard fairy tales. Well, yeah. But like, but like points. it's like a huge deal. Like in the first one. Renfrey. Um, in the, in, yeah. Renfrey is literally made out to be a, really fucked up version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, where she at one point had been like running with a pack of pack of dwarves who yeah. like were really violent and really awful. And then all of them died except her. Yeah. Oh, side note. I just want to, because I brought it up, I had to pull up his name from the Chronicles of, 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 of Pride Anne, the king who hates being a king and chooses to be a bard. His name is, Fluter Flam. I want to spell it for you. F. It's F F L E W D D U R. F F L A M. Fluter Flam is his name. He's a king by birth who chooses to be a bard. So again, that was just something that I noticed, and I was like, I've seen this before somewhere. And like you said, it's probably just a trope. That like yeah like oh, I hate being in charge I just wandered the world and sing songs and but fuck that, maidens. That's also that's also bizarrely part of one of the things that made me think that the people in this book were humans from Earth is is was these weird connections to Grimm's fairy tales. Um, like you get you get a bit in that first book with like is that like a Goldilocks bit with the bear in the woods or is that Beauty and the Beast? I think that's Beauty and the Beast because he's like turned into a, a monster. But beauty is a vampire. Yeah, she's a literal. <laughs> like she turns into a bat. <laughs> well, he goes through a series of actual women, and then eventually attracts this like vampire. And then the and and then the whole point of that story is that there's a nugget of truth to the whole like true love did set him free. Like love what did set you free, but also she was a fucking insane vampire. <laughs> okay, but that brings us back to our point here, which we're getting into yeah. is this is sex in these books. As we said before, everyone fucks all the time. Even big bear men. It's even big bear men. People fuck all the time. <laughs> everyone fucks. 
And they, def- he goes through a lot of pain to make sure that you know that it's consensual with the bear man. Yes, hey, the bear man. The bear man definitely makes sure that the women want to fuck him. Hey, to his credit, he's like one of three fucking characters who who actually cares about consent. Who, who regularly brings up consent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's like it's it's like Sapkowski felt like he needed to with Big Bear like, Man because it's don't, like I don't want the weird monster to rape women. I just want humans to do it. Yeah. It's okay. like I want to make sure people know this guy is a good person. Somewhat. So, yeah. So this will be. I'm going to give this as a general. I should have done it at the top, but a general warning for people who are upset by sexual assault or rape. We might just. We'll try to be. We'll try to beat around the bush. Generally, when we talk about Syria, what happens to Syria, we can't really. But um, this next section, a little bit, is going to be a little iffy. If you're the first bit won't be because I think we're going to talk about sort of gender relations generally in the world and how people view sex. But near the end of it, I think I'll do a little warning again, just for people who really don't want to listen to a recommendation about sexual assault. Yeah. And I, it will be important to maybe reiterate again, because it is important to the bones of the story. Yes. But before, some of it is before we get to the, 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 the story, the, the load bearing sexual assault of this story house. Let's talk about generally like sex and sexual relations in this world that Sapkowski built. As we said, everyone's horny all the time, but you also have those weird dichotomies where like everyone's horny. There's sex workers everywhere. People fuck a lot, but also women are just constantly abused for being promiscuous like either called, you know, whores or sluts or whatever, constantly, despite the fact Yeah, but despite the fact that everyone wants to fuck them all the time. But of course, it's the very, yeah, sort of your, I can only speak for, you know, very European of the whole, like, the women are supposed to be chased, but like, everyone's having sex anyway, but like, so they're not chased at the same time, but like, you can get in trouble if you aren't. But it's also in a lot of ways, a lot more libertine, than our current society or societies would imagine because like they have festivals where everyone just hooks up all the time. Like there's, you know, sex workers are just a thing that exists that everyone can go to. Uh, women are just like mo- half naked often in like lots of situations you wouldn't expect. Sorceresses are basically half naked, like all the time because they can be, I guess. Well, who's going to tell so- them no. Right. Like, yeah, really. I mean, it's a <laughs> they really just turn expl- you and, and literally just t- twist your windpipe and be like the other thing that's really important to this story is that generally all the women we come across really want to hook up with Geralt and the ones who don't dandelion like yeah like they either want to hook up with dandelion or Geralt like one of the two you I mean let's be fair you've got you've got a you've got a giant himbo or like a musical twink so like pick your type like whichever one you're into this story provides for you it's sort of like this podcast, you know, whatever you're into, we provide. And, um, and both of them are celebrities. Like that's in a way that is not something that, you know, it's actually something that the show actively like decided not to do. And it's not something that you necessarily get across in the games. Cause it's dandelion's not as yeah. much a focus, but, but dandelion is, is famous. Dandelion is a bona fide rock star who sings about Geralt all the time. So Geralt, everyone yeah. knows who Geralt is too. 
Yeah, like, he's, of... he, I, I see Geralt, it has to be the most well-known witcher of all time, simply because oh, he he's, fr- he's friends with a rock star. Yeah, a rock star who gets all of his stuff from Geralt's stories, because it's yeah. like, where else is he going to get it? Dandelion watches Geralt do stuff and then sings a song about how badass it is. So when they walk in together, it's like the rock star and his muse, essentially. Like, they do the- they do try to get that across in the games, too, because like there are moments when you're like talking to somebody and you're like, at the beginning of the third one, you're like looking for Yennefer. And you're like, I'm looking for a woman like this and this and this. And they go, oh, you're looking for Yennefer Vengerberg. And you're like... Well, huh? she's she's also famous, but for different reasons. She's oh, famous because yeah. she's just a really powerful like sorceress. Well, yeah, but she, but, but she but she gets mentioned in his songs a lot. Well, because he wrote a whole ballad about Geralt and Yennefer. <laughs> yeah, Dandy, but Dandelion, being a very a very successful bard, contributes to the fact that everybody knows who they are and everybody is interested in them. Yes, even though Geralt is weird and a witcher. Yeah, he, he really definitely gets, he's an, albi- he, an artificially albino witcher. Like, yeah, he's a witcher who went further than other witchers because they were like, you took particularly well to these mutations. Okay, so, we'll uh, so Geralt has what you see in other books called like he gets exoticized by women constantly, where they're like, "Ooh, he's weird." Like he's big and strong and silent and weird, and he's got weird hair and weird eyes. Now, obviously, some women are turned off by it. But there's clearly a lot of women who are just like, man, this dude's weird as hell. I want to hook up with him. And then obviously a lot of women want to hook up a dandelion because he's a rock star or whatever, you know, typical, (laughs) typical famous singer reasons. You know, he's Mick Jagger or whatever. Dandelion's more of, I don't know. He's not a Mick Jagger type. I don't know who he is. I was about to say, he doesn't strike me as the uh, sexual salty type. I don't know, though. He's certainly the consent is not enthusiastic type. I think he's very much like if she doesn't explicitly tell me no, I'm not going yeah. to stop. Yeah. At least certainly early on. Yeah. Okay, that is one thing I wanted to bring up is that this, these books are weird about sex all the way through, but for different reasons. Oh, Jesus Christ. They are so weird about sex. <laughs> In the first couple books, they're weird about sex and that just like, it's just very horny. Just painfully horny. It's like the first, the very first thing in The Last Wish. Yeah. And it, again, it, that to me, and I don't necessarily mean this as negative, but it very much strikes me as just like, this is a guy who is writing a fantasy story for a magazine, right? Like, of course the main character fucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not surprising to me that that's, I've read way worse fanfic than that online where everyone's horny all the time. Mm-hmm. And so like the first book, two books, the collections of sort stories are much more just like, I want to call it like sort of openly almost normally horny. I mean that normally in just that, like the main characters are dudes that want to have sex a lot. Like you get that later on in the books, they're, weird about sex for very different and I would say more uncomfortable reasons. But early on, it's just that everyone's very horny all the time. And even if you put a little bit back from in story, Sapkowski really, really needs to tell you how hot every woman is. He does not introduce a single woman into the story without telling you what she looks like. Like 
in a mostly sexual way. Like if there's a barmaid, he's going to tell you how hot or not she is. If there's a woman or not, (laughs) someone has to talk to for any reason, Sapkowski is going to tell you how sexually attractive she is and what her breasts look like. Like he does not fail to mention their boobs whenever possible. And it is a coin toss, whether or not he's going to include a scent. Like that is, that is a running thing. My man is into boobs and smells. I'm going to tell you that. Gooseberries, chamomile. (laughs) Every woman has a smell. I feel like he picks the smells, not because he knows what they smell like. I think he picks them because they sound like they smell good. What the hell <laughs> even is a gooseberry, right? Seriously. <laughs> I've never like, I feel like, a I feel like if you put it in a different context, you could very well frame it like the whole Monty Python, you know, you know, your your uh, mother was a hamster and your father smelled them. Smelled them. Elderberries. Elderberries. It's of like gooseberries. Gooseberries. It's I don't I've never smelled a gooseberry in my life. I don't know what it smells like. And she smells like gooseberries. What's the other thing Yennefer smells like? Lilac. Lilac's a good smell. I'll give him that. Um, I don't know if lilac and and gooseberries smell good together, but every woman, at least all the women that Geralt gets like physically close to, I I think has a smell and we're going to know what their tits look like because Sapkowski has to tell us. With the smell thing, I'm, I'm, 98% 98% sure that it's just Sapkowski being Sapkowski, but it's also like a 2% thing where it's like, I mean, he has enhanced senses. He'd probably be able to tell what he's smelling, right? Yeah, it comes up in um, other perspectives too. So oh, I feel yeah. like that kind of throws it out the window. <laughs> Pretty sure Dandelion also like notices Dang. how women smell. I was trying to give him 2% benefit of the doubt <laughs> and it's gone now. But so again, yeah, just in the base narrative, Sapkowski will make sure to tell you how attractive all the women you have to interact with are. He's just going to. And in a way that he definitely does not tell you how hot every random male villager you run into is. So for our mutual benefit, I Googled gooseberries. They are related to currants. They do not flower. And as far as I can tell, they have no scent to speak of. (laughs) (laughs) See, he really did just pick it just because it's <laughs> just like it just sounds cool. Uh, oh, boy, you've done it again. V- very strong. I've never actually been close to a woman vibes. <laughs> well, yeah, but again, like, that was a- he has a son who in- <laughs> who was the reason he submitted to that particular contest. Like, <laughs> but just. Oh god, I, man! I man, I know why Reddit likes this guy so much. Oh, buddy! <laughs> there, yeah. I saw I saw a post. This reminds me. I, I saw a post just like yesterday. It was some complaint. I'm gonna give away specific, you know, you know, uh, you know, probably unpleasant parts about my own personality and the fact that like I play League of Legends sometimes. And that, like, there's no. been a lot of complaints going on in League about like character design, and that basically all the new like characters in league are often just like hot anime girls as opposed to like monsters or whatever. But somebody pointed out that like, if the only women you've ever seen in your life are anime girls, you're going to think all women look like anime girls because you've never actually seen real ones. And I get, (laughs) I get that sort of Reddit vibe from Sapkowski. He was like, this is what women smell like. And you're like, are you sure, buddy? (laughs) I mean, I've been playing modded Skyrim for 
a decade because for some reason they haven't made new games. Well, hey, they just put out another one, a new version of Skyrim. Exactly. Damn it, Todd Howard, you've done it again. There's like 140,000 mods, and I swear to God, 90,000 of them are just hot anime girls in some level or another. Yeah, it's just make women hotter and also change their skeletons so they'll be naked when you take their clothes off. I mean, one of the most pop, the game I spend the most time playing is uh, Crusader Kings 3. Uh, which is being a paradox game is eminently moddable. And one of the most popular mods is just to make all the characters hotter and to make you be able to undress them whenever you want. Oh, good. So this is universal and also a key plot point to this book series. <laughs> yeah. Ga- gamers are universal. <laughs> like, yeah. Birds. Yeah. We're talking <laughs> about, we're talking about the sphere of people who like made the first couple God of Wars. Yeah. Sweaty and, nerds. Like, sweaty nerds are universal. Uh, <laughs> um, and we just know that's, I think Sapkowski is smash is just, X to bang the siren in the bed. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> yeah, <that's> like <laughs> they also did that. Like the first, I'm pretty sure I never played it, but I remember hearing like in the first Witcher game, you literally get like collectible cards for everyone you hook up with. Yes. I, I, I told you about that, that. Yeah. You get, you get a collectible card for every single woman you hook up with. There's like 15 or 20 oh in the God. game. <laughs> you collect there's there are two there are two that are mutually exclusive to different playthroughs whether or not you fuck shawnee or you fuck triss and that second one should really piss off everyone in the universe who's ever read the books but um because Geralt sort of had a, a fling with triss when he was like super drunk drunk and hot well they had a little bit more of a thing it was, i think it was right after yennefer broke up with him so he was it was like a it was a hardcore like you're a rebound which and is, then he regretted it so Yeah, and he much. regretted it forever. And then, but like, Trish never gets over it. No, no Trish it, never gets it over it. It remains a main... She keeps trying to seduce him while he's like, while she's like crapping her pants. Yes. I mean, it, it comes back uh, when they form the Mage's Lodge in the Tower of Sparrows that, you know, Trish and Yennefer still can't get along. Because Triss hooked up with Geralt a few yeah. times. And they, they mutually blame it on their political differences at that point in the series. But then every time you get a perspective from one of them, it's about Geralt. I, that's, that seems so funny to me from Yen, because she's like... There's a lot of times this book would not pass any vague sense of a Bechdel test. <laughs> because even when you're getting a woman's perspective... It's always it's, about Geralt. It, it's just like Yennefer thinking about Geralt, or Triss thinking about Geralt. Well, yeah, or, you know, who somebody else should be having sex with. You know, if you ex- yeah. if you extend the Bechdel test to talk not talking about a man or not talking about another woman in the a third woman in the context of a man, it might fail. Like forever. Like <laughs> like through- well yeah, I mean, regardless, the, they, like even like Alison Bechdel was like, I don't know how this became a thing. I sent it as a joke to a friend yeah, but of mine. <laughs> again, I use it the same way. There's there's literally a podcast I listen to sometimes called the Bechdel Cast, where the idea isn't that this is some sort of hard and fast rule, but it's a lens for viewing the way women are written in the story. Oh yeah, and, at least draws attention to the fact and that through, oftentimes... and in the lens of this story, the only time you get women interacting in not a way about sex is like when in some of the scenes where Yennefer is like first mentoring Siri, 
like when they're at the temple of Melitola. Like then, even then, sometimes it is, but not always. I was about to say, all you technically need to pass Bechdel test is a single scene where two women are talking to each other, not which occasionally, they, occasionally they do, maybe once or twice. I, like, I'm about to say, I imagine in the later books, at certain points, members of the lodge have to be getting political. Um, um, yeah, the first time the lodge meets, I think, would be the series is seen. High, po- definitely high point. guarantee it. But then the second time the lodge meets, it's all about getting Siri hooked up with a, a man. So, and the the rest of the meetings are about that. Oh, and God. I, I, it's unavoidable because what the the thing you didn't get to, if you didn't get to the back half of the series, is that series sexuality is actually the main conflict of this series. Oh, good God! So Why? I, Why? I you know to reinforce Why? the content warning. Why this? Oh God is going to have to involve discussion of sexual assault and specifically sexual assault of a minor. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's just do that right now and get it out of the way. I think. Cause I, 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 we can talk about that and then we can go back to a little bit about sexism generally in, in the world and the other people hooking up and stuff and how like literally everyone wants to flash their tits to Geralt. But like, let's let's right now make it clear this next little bit here is going to be directly about sexual assault of a minor. Um, who even in the story world, many people refer to as a child at the point that the assault happens. Many people are still calling her a child at this point. So clear warning, maybe skip a few minutes five, 10 minutes. I don't know how long this will take. Skip a few. If you're very uncomfortable with sexual assault, that out of the way. All right. I'm just going to give the very, I'm going to give the brief basic rundown and then we can talk you guys, you, especially you, Trevor can tell me what that means going forward for the rest of the book at the end of time of contempt, uh, baptism of no, it is time of contempt End of time of contempt. After Siri gets out of the get, she gets found in the desert by some trappers who were like hunting for her for Nilfgaard. She gets taken to a town. She sits in an inn next to a captured bandit outlaw. His name's like Kane or Kaylee. Kale or Kaylee. She gets sit next to this captured outlaw. There's two groups of bounty hunters essentially. And Kaylee and Siri are the respective bounties that they've caught. While they're sitting in there, the men make many jokes about raping women and make jokes, references to assaulting Siri. Before that can happen, the Kaylee's banded outlaw friends attack, free them. People, they break free. Okay. There's fighting. They break free. They run off. Siri gets essentially accepted into this group of bandit outlaws sort of she gets accepted into the group who are all it, you know upper middle upper teens or t- early or 20s or you know one of them's an elf so who the hell knows but yeah so what they're like late teens early 20s most of them she gets ex- and by the way at this point siri is 14 
Yeah, 14 or 15, because we don't get exact years as the story progresses. Yeah, but like if you did the timeline from like what age she was when Geralt finds her, you could probably figure it out. She's like 14 or 15. The first night she's in this, she's, so she meets the bandits to go. They're like, all right, you can chill with us. You're cool. Everyone goes to bed. Immediately after everyone goes to bed, Kaylee comes sneaking over to where she's sleeping and is like, hey, you rescued me earlier. I'm going to pay you back for that. I'm going to thank you and begins to sexually assault her. He like pulls her shirt down and starts going to town. He's going to rape her. Before he can do it, one of the other bandits, a woman named Arrow? Um, Mel, no. Uh, I thought it was the one that started with an A. I know I just listened to it yesterday, but. I, I just watched this ca- or listened to this character's death scene like an hour ago. Um, missile. Missile. Oh, I was close. I said Arrow. It's Missile. How do they know what a missile is? Anyway, so Missile catches Kaylee in the act of trying to rape Siri and like kicks him off and like pulls a knife and is like, you're a piece of shit. Get away from her. And he's all put out and he's like, and like scuttles off. At this point, I'm like, well, that was uncomfortable. At least that's over. Missile then lays down and I was like, oh, she's going to protect Siri to make sure this doesn't happen again wrong missile then immediately just picks up where Kaylee left off. And at first Siri is just given the same reaction. She's terrified. She's disgusted. She's explicitly stated that she is terrified. And then missile just like keeps at it. And eventually Siri gives in and is kind of into it. Maybe you, you can tell me in a second if that's, if that's explored yeah. later at the beginning of the next book, but it's written somewhat vaguely. However, what's not vague is the next morning she gets up, goes to the river and tries to scrub her skin off. Like she scrubs herself for a very long time to scrub herself clean. If anyone here has had any reactions with people who have been raped or sexually assaulted, a common coping mechanism afterwards is the idea that you need to wash yourself clean and you can't get clean. Which is explicitly what Siri does the morning after these subsequent, like in a row, sexual assaults happen to her one by an attempted one by a man. And then a successful one, I guess by a woman. And then he's just, and then that just happens. And then Sapkowski's like, "Ah," and the band went on to be, successful bandits all together as a family. He then like literally goes right from a sexual assault to they were all cool together and they were a family because being alone is terrible and being together is great. Despite the fact that like two of the members of this group assaulted her in the same uh, minor in the same night. So that really weirded me out personally, because I very much attached myself to the other couple of books, this idea of like, Siri as the child that needs protecting. You know what I mean? That very sort of like, we must take care of her. She's a child. That, I don't know, just being a little open, like that hit with me strongly. You know what I mean? This very sort of like, especially Geralt's relationship with her, this very like protective relationship with her. That was very emotionally impactful for me. 
And then for him to end the book with our like child being sexually assaulted was incredibly uncomfortable and uh, really soured my feeling for the books and the author a lot really quickly at the end of what I felt was an otherwise compelling story. So go ahead and make this worse for me and tell me what happens afterwards. Oh, she and Miss will become girlfriends. Um, yeah, no, it's, it is remarkably fucked up. So you sexually assault a minor and then start a relationship because she's never had a relationship before. Exactly. She's been, she's been groomed. It is, I believe, intended to be this groomed, abusive relationship. You know, but in that kind of Stockholm Syndrome way that's really common with childhood sexual abuse, where... Where you like a, they become attached to their abuser? Where they become attached to the abuser and especially in a character like Siri's case, they don't have a context for sexuality. So their context for sexuality develops around that abuse. And you see this more in the next two books of not just Missile's abuse of Siri, even though Siri at some point stops perceiving it as abuse and, self-perceives it as a relationship but this gang the rats uh that is their default view of sexuality for all of them is you know even you know by the end of that arc even siri is talking about how well when you rob somebody it's your right to ravage them like that's a that's a quote and and there's a character who then tries to seduce Siri, and I'll, I'll get to why this keeps happening in a second, who calls her out on being an abuse victim. You know, she's absorbed into this extraordinarily violent gang and starts killing people with them. Their whole thing is, like, they kill for fun. Like, they are, they are horrifying murderers and robbers who all happen to be under the age of 22. And, like, but... That is Siri's kind of entrance into maturity is in this abusive, violent situation. And it really shape, you know, and it's intended, I think, to shape how Siri interacts with the world going forward. Because she does come around to the fact that it was wrong at one point, but never in a I was a victim sort of way. And it's, it's not good. It is a driving thing in Geralt's motivation because he starts having prophetic dreams of seeing what is going on in Ciri's life and being horrified by it. And that's kind of a driving thing of like, holy fuck, we need to go rescue her. Uh But, you know, she, the, it's never properly resolved. And I think that's a huge mark against Sapkowski is that there's never any reckoning with the fact that this was abuse outside of her trying to scrub herself clean that first time. In fact, it becomes more like a consensual relationship the longer it goes on, 
which is which is also a class which is worse and also a classic case of long term abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or eventually it goes on long enough that the victim believes it's consensual. um, And in this case becomes attached to the point of, you know, riding into an ambush with the intention of if I, I have to save them, I have to at least save missile. We can escape together. Um, and it's extremely traumatic because she then watches this, you know, profoundly abusive found family get brutally murdered. Um, I'm assuming by the Nilfgaardians, I would assume. Uh, by Bonhart, that, you know, witchy, oh, witcher hunting okay. assassin that I mentioned. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. Just, you know, and, and it's not, you know, the most graphic battle scene or fight scene in the series, but it's, you know, intentionally one of the darker ones just to emphasize series it, experience with it yeah because it's th- these books are a series of siri experiencing trauma over and over again i feel like that's what a lot of the main plot of this book is siri experiences trauma well yeah and there's an interesting thing where the adults in her life at least think that this has happened to her that she has been assaulted before um with the Black Knight of Nilfgaard, who becomes this boogeyman in her nightmares. I think that's kind of implied. It It is implied by series, by how adults per- understand series recollection. But they're the yeah. recollection, because that's how, as adults, they perceive the recollections of a traumatized child. Siri was actually just scared shitless because her whole family had just died. And this terrifying Black Knight in her nightmares was just trying to get her out of the burning city. Yeah, because he he did actually save her. Um, but when she just re- but when she recounts the story to adults, they're like, "Sounds like some bad stuff happened to you." But that is something that is brought up in Geralt's perception of the dreams that he's having. So, from the you know from the beginning of the novel's part, there are these things about Siri you know, at that point, 12 or 13 years old as a sexual being. And yeah, she like asked Jennifer multiple times about like whether she can't do magic properly because she's still a virgin or something. Yeah. And at, at you know, in the beginning, that feels like the uh, portrayal of puberty of an adult man trying to write a teenage, you know, a young teenage girl. And, and it, at least at that point, Jennifer is very takes the approach, I think, an adult should, who was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Right. And then, you know, there's some other, there's some other things like, uh, what's his name? Yara, the boy that she yeah, likes yeah, at the, the temple. Like <laughs> yeah, the one, the one man in the entire temple. The, of, of priestesses who we, as we've established, fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so there are these recurring things in the first half of the series about, Siri sexuality. You find out in Baptism of Fire with the uh, Mage's Lodge that there is this genetic trait that has died out among the elves but passed into a specific line of um, human monarchs. The line of Sintra, the child of the Elder. Yeah, uh, 
the the way it ends up in Sintra is the stupid convoluted scene that's just kind of making fun of medieval royal families. But eventually this, what is originally an elven genetic trait that was present in multiple ancient elven sages but has died out over time. So is what makes Ciri the last child of the elder blood. And all of this stuff about her, you know, because there is a prophecy saying the child with the elder blood is the one who's going to save the world from the great frost is motivating all of these people to want her genetic material. They all really want her to have babies. And and that's the thing, is that it depending on how you read the prophecy, it's either Siri or everybody seems to think it's going to be Siri's child. And some of them, that's because they think it has to be a man, and others, uh, the witches think that it's going to be a daughter for reasons that I can't really understand. So you've got the witches trying to find Ciri and pair her off with some northern monarch to create a northern counterbalance to Nilfgaard. You've got Vilgefortz trying to, I think, take her reproductive system out of her body to artificially inseminate it. There's this whole horrifying. Vilgefortz is a weird motherfucker. Yeah, there's this whole, there's this whole like weird surgical OB-GYN chair with a bunch of dead women He's that Dykstra discovers at one point. Um, and is what Siri gets strapped into in the you know in the final battle. Uh, is and you know, she she escapes and fights people because she's. Uh, extraordinarily violent badass like Geralt is by the end but they so Vilgefortz has his own really weird sexually fucked up thing going where he's trying to perfect this technique so he can use it on Siri and then there's Emir Var Emrys who wants to find and marry Siri and make her the empress so that their child together will be the ruler of the world. Darius, do you know who Emir Var Emrys is? Uh, what his secret identity is? No, I don't. Ketho, would you like to tell him? <laughs> so, you know how uh, apparently uh Pavetta and her husband died off the coast of Skellige. Is it Dooney? It's fucking Dooney. It's fucking it is her, it's Dooney. He, he wants to marry his own daughter? Yes. He arranged ah! entering into the royal family of Sintra to double up his bloodline in... Is this guy a Crusader Kings player? What is going on? He, well, it's, he's got a really bizarre, like, background where his father was, like, usurped from the throne or whatever. And then he got cursed, um, like, instead of being killed. Um, and then he works out this really complex plan to, like, come back and become the new emperor. So the whole reason that Storm happens, that, that destroys their ships, he plans that or some shit. Well, he meets Vilgefortz at some point, and they're in cahoots from some time after he marries Pavetta. 
So he kills Pavetta on purpose so he can disappear and go back to Nilfgaard and become the emperor. Yes. yes. And then later, and then later on, he's like, damn, I need to go get my daughter. And that is why they invade Syndra. So he can find his daughter. Yes. So that he can marry his 13 year old daughter. Who at the time of the invasion, we actually was like nine. Yeah. It was like 10 ish. Yeah. Uh-huh. What the, f- what the fuck? But so you've got these three competing groups who all want to who all want series specifically for reproductive reasons, just so that she can have a child who will be inordinately magically powerful. What none of them realize is that Siri is inordinately magically, magically powerful on her own. And I think the, the only person who might actually realize that to its fullest extent is probably like Yennefer. I, Yennefer knows to some degree, and that's why Yennefer, they, and Yennefer recognizes when the Witch's Lodge meets that they will discover that and goes off on her own crusade to try and find Siri independently because she doesn't want the other witches to find out what Siri is. Can you guys tell me, at least, this is a slight sidetrack, does Yennefer end up actually being generally a good person throughout, towards the end of the books? Yeah, overall. Yeah, I'd say I'd like, say overall net positive of a person. The, yeah, like the second or third best witch. <laughs> like <laughs> who are who are the other who are the who are the better I, two? Like I would argue that Margarita Lozentila, who is like, Isn't she like the, she's like in charge of the college, right? Or like yeah, the she's the headmistress of the school. Like I'd argue that she is a morally better person. And so yeah, is Tris, Tris is well, yeah. Like, in the in the book, she's a morally Tris, better person. Yeah, Tris Tris. You know, both of them fall into the lodge partially because there are so many more powerful people who will fuck them over if they don't. Um, and also because they're both kind of traumatized by the political yeah. events that have been happening and just want to yeah. end. But I would argue they are both still better human beings than yeah. Jennifer is. That, well, well there's, there almost seems to be a bizarre, like, like almost one-to-one where, like, the we- generally if you're not that strong of, of like, a, like, Triss... Triss is powerful in her own right, but compared, she's very young relative to like the rest of these sorceresses. So it's like, and then you get people like Yen, who was who's like three hundred years old, maybe. And okay, I, so I just want to say for the record, I think we're now past the part where we're directly going to be describing any like sexual assaults. I think, Probably. right, right, yes, I think would, so. but we can still say now though that like the rest of the story still essentially revolves around people wanting Siri to reproduce. And then the people, the other people who I'm assuming are essentially Yennefer and Geralt who are like, leave Siri alone, please. Yeah. And Siri, who is like, leave me alone. Oh, Ooh, there's a, um, and then the wild hunt, um, is a group of inter again, interdimensional slaving space elves. Who they want Siri so that she can bring the elder blood back into their bloodline with their king. Um, because if they get access to that, they can reopen slave passages and essentially conquer the world again. <laughs> yeah, they what they, they want is to have free reign of of interdimensional travel. Okay, if you you know what those guys because, remind me of. Actually, I don't know how deep either of you. Well, I know you might be Kat, though. If you're deep into like D and D lore, that's just. Is it the Gith Yankee? 
Yeah, the Gith Zerai. The, the, the Gith Yankee are the mean ones that slay. Yeah, the Gith Yankee who are essentially like the Gith Zerai are like are like Jedi monks. Living the Gith Yankee, the, the Gith the Yankee are just like weird astral space pirates who are essentially immortal because they live in the astral plane. And then their whole deal is just like going into the material world on slave raids and then disappearing back into their into the astral plane again. It's it, I mean, it's very similar to that. The way that I the way that they're depicted visually in game, uh, because they are like the main villains of the third game. It's like they show up and they're like they do have like a giant boat. So they're basically just they're just the Gith Yankee. And and they well, yeah, but they also like ride on skeletal horses through the sky. Like it's like weird. Like, like they have both boat like and horse. Johnny Cash style ghost riders in the <laughs> yeah, sky. Yeah, I was just about to say ghost riders. They are they are ghost riders in the sky. Yes, quite literally. Ghost riders Johnny Cash sky. was just singing about the wild hunt. Um, um so <laughs> yeah, so even they, so there's four groups of people. Yeah, there that, there are four individual factions that just want to reproduce with Siri to get her magical DNA into their bloodline. And then there's and then there's like two people aside from Siri. Who are like, this is probably a bad idea. Let's not do that. And those two people are her adoptive parents, Yennefer and Geralt. Don't don't the elves actually like semi? All they they're like the who get closest to succeeding. They capture her. Yeah, I he the elves and Vilgaforts. Um, the king the king wants it to be consensual, and he's like, well, we can make you be alive forever. So. You'll come around it, eventually. Like, but but the king is also like super turned off by her. Yeah, because she's a human, it's and he's like, "You're real. I don't. I do not find you attractive. Yeah. So you just can't get it up." Well, to be fair, a lot of people call her ugly again for like a lot of the book. They switch to pretty. Oh, right around the, right around the time after right around the time she gets sexually assaulted. Yeah, mm, um, weird. Right around the time she becomes a sexual entity, everyone starts calling her pretty. Weird. Yeah. So well, that's so that's the thing is that so much of the book is revolving around how people perceive series sexuality because you that is you know kind of the motivation for all of the antagonists i'm gonna be honest with um, you i'm gonna be honest with you that sucks yeah it that's really fucking that's sucks. a really shitty story construction i'm sorry like i don't like it I, i'm not a fan i very much think that he came up with the elder blood gene as a concept and then didn't care as much as he should have when he was weaving it back in he's like this is a cool idea that's how it feels to me because and maybe that's just because i want to give it some benefit of the doubt that he wasn't like what if everybody just wanted to assault this girl assault this like 15 year old girl I'm assuming she gets her magic back. I'm assuming she gets her magic. Obviously she gets her magic back at some point. Cause at the end of time of contempt, she can't do magic. So not exactly. And this, this is kind of the last thing that I think is a really, this is the most interesting thing about how series fate and sexuality get portrayed is while she's you, you met the unicorn in the desert. Yeah. The unicorn comes back because the unicorns, like Siri, can have at will control of space time. Uh huh. Or, you know, at will travel through space time. Siri is a, you know, the way the, that wizards are able to travel through space, Siri can open portals 
through dimensions and time. Um, which, if you want to say this is your third book in a row with folding space, that's absolutely valid. <laughs> We're tessering um, again. All this tessering. Oh, by the way, I don't know, Trevor, side note. I learned afterwards, after we recorded that episode about Dune and about the Space and Guild tessering, if you just read the first book of Dune, he doesn't describe the Space and Guild tessering. He just says that they can like see the future and plot the course. It was David Lynch when he made his movie adaption. He's the one that said that the Space and Guild actually tessered and Herbert liked it so much that he wrote it into the later books. I love when authors can interact with their own adaptations that way. Yeah, so he was he 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 literally said I only just, the only way he conceived of it before was that they just knew where everything was going to be so they could plot the safest course. And David Lynch, and Lynch was just like, "Yeah, no, they just like test her through space." And Herbert was like, and Her, and Herbert was like was like, "That's a really great idea. I'm going to make sure I explain that in the next book I write." Yeah, Herbert didn't didn't fully take the the tester because Lynch makes it seem as though the spice gives people tessering abilities, whereas... Yeah, no, I'm just saying that he liked the idea that Herbert then wrote it in. So that's where that actually came from in Dune, is from David Lynch. So, props. But here we have our third book in a row where people are folding space-time, and Siri can just do it at will? Yeah, so Siri doesn't really get her magic back, but she gets this additional ability to teleport and at first she does it trying to escape from somebody and uh, you get this fun kind of montage of her popping up in both completely alien worlds and also hopping in and out of earth at at different time periods and you get from series perspective descriptions of like 18th century prussia so um, she's yeah she's just doing she's just randomly teleporting because she can't like control it yet or something. exactly um and but she is kind of picked up and shown how to interact with this newfound power by the unicorns who so she so she gets the she gets the blade from the second book of his dark materials and can open little rifts into other dimensions whenever she wants more or less yeah um you know when yeah, there's a lot of her teleporting in The Witcher 3, and that's what she's doing, is she is hopping in and out of reality. Yeah, the whole thing that, that sets off the plot of The Witcher 3 is that the Wild Hunt finds a way to detect when she jumps. So they they start hunting her down. Across space-time. Across space-time. And they can go anywhere, pretty much. So they keep tracking her down and keep hunting down entire like villages. Anywhere she's been... Anywhere she's come in contact with, they keep tracking and, like, showing up repeatedly, following behind her. And, you, and so the whole thing is you're trying to catch up to Siri before the Wild Hunt catches up to Siri. Um, so, the, but the thing that I find interesting in how that plays out in relation to what everybody wants Siri for is that canonically in this universe, unicorns are only you know, typically able to, or interested in interacting with virgin women. Which is a, a like, classic trope. Which is a super classic trope, and something that I think in other contexts would be treated as a myth by Sapkowski, but 
like multiple times different characters describe how that used to be a profession before unicorns stopped coming to this world on a regular basis. Yeah, because they kept getting murdered. Because people were hunting them. And because they didn't know they were sentient four-legged horse creatures. Hey, hey Kethel, you know who else uh, uses as a major plot point uh, unicorns only touching virgins? Madeline the Ingle in the book Many Waters. That is uh, an important plot point in Many Waters by Madeline Langle. That's interesting. That is that is also the book where people uh, have sex with angels. So, Okay, so she goes off the deep end a little bit. Uh, Many Waters is the book where the twins, Sandy and Dennis, uh, go back and hang out with Noah. Like, the Noah. Oh yeah, she like get, right, I knew she got weird. Right around the time he's building the Ark, and angels are on Earth, and some people hook up with them, and unicorns actually touching virgins is an important plot point. So I just wanted to mention that, that that's not the only time I've seen this happen. So, But why do the unicorns also interact with Siri, even though she's definitely not a virgin at that point? So it's not stated outright, but I think you know the implication is that it's, you know, her sexuality that everybody's after is kind of nullified by her decision to not do it by her, you know, unlocking to use, you know, MMO terms, Uh the ability to walk away from her fate and just go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She gets to do like a sort of born again, Christian type thing where she's like, she's re-virgining. Yeah. That or, you know, because, how sexual everything is about it it's more i think that aspect of her destiny is ignored oh, okay okay you know yeah you know, so she, that's no that's not part of her existence in the universe anymore so the unicorns ignore it yeah you know, there's certainly some implication that by the unicorns are able to hang out with her because she's not going to you know be the mother of the king of the world. She's decided she doesn't want to just, you know, be a reproductive vessel. Exactly. Women with and women with agency. Oh boy. So yeah. there's there's just a lot leaning on Siri and Siri having or not having sex in this whole story. I will say I'm gonna be honest, that makes me incredibly uh the the end of the book I just read and you explaining that part, I will admit does make me uh, significantly less excited uh, to read the final books of the series because it doesn't seem like an entirely uh, enjoyable premise to base the rest of the books on. Like I'm sure there's lots of other cool stuff that happens because I do gen generally like the world Sapkowski built, but like the fact that that's sort of like a tent pole of the story to me is uh, just kind of a, uh, excuse the phrase, a bit of a turn off. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think kind of undeniably the, like that is part of the story. You know, that is the motivation for the story. But the things that everybody does while being motivated by that are still really interesting. Okay. Hey, and you get the Geralt crew. I do. I do want to. Yeah, I do want to hear about the fellowship. Geralt, I, the Geralt gang. I do want to hear about the, the the fellowship. And that is the end of part two of our conversation about the Witcher. Uh, we appreciate you sticking with us through 
whatever that just was. But I promise next week is going to be much less uh, upsetting. If you want to follow any of us, our social media links are down in the description. And uh, thanks for being a listener. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.